0: Shadowgate,
2: your next move could be your
0: last!
2: And welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike.
0: I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Joe.
2: And we are playing today uh, what could be seen as the precursor to all uh, current escape the room style uh, experiences ar- across the world, right? This is kind of an escape the room, except for you've chosen to go in the room.
0: I mean, you could call it that. I'd also just say it's a like a point and click adventure game.
1: Yeah, I feel like Escape the Rooms have always sort of reminded me of this format of game, but it wasn't until um, you know later in my experience of playing this game, I actually did start thinking specifically this feels like Escape the Room. So I don't know, it's like one of those chicken and egg things, like something came, they're both kind of evoking each other.
2: And Sean, you're spot on. It, it is absolutely a point-and-click adventure game. I, I only noticed as I was getting like further into the game that it just became a lot more about, my inventory and less about like what was going on in the actual rooms that that made me start to feel like an escape the room where I have to deal with the tools that I've collected less, um, you know, less pointing and clicking um, than I'm used to in these kinds of games where like, okay, it doesn't matter what you have available to you. It's what's on the screen that you're like trying to puzzle solve based on that, not based on what you've collected so far.
0: Yeah. I, I guess there is enough of a difference between the the two types, but I guess I would consider Escape the Room more a subgenre of point-and-click adventure.
1: Yeah, I guess Escape the Room, I would say, is, like, just solely focused on, like, puzzle solving, where this is, like, there's a lot of puzzle solving, but there's also just, like, a lot of general adventuring going on.
2: And there's a lot of story, too. Uh, not even just, like, what you read in the manual and stuff like that, what, what we're used to in games. There's a lot of dialogue to or exposition or narrative to read throughout the game and then to also look at all the objects in the room and get detailed descriptions on that stuff. This is a very text-heavy game compared to what we're used to on the system.
0: I think that the a lot of the backstory um it's it's a little opaque uh and in some of it like because there is definitely a text limit um It it doesn't I couldn't entirely get what all of the like the the circle of twelve and the something of seven like I didn't really get what all that was but you're right I mean there is a lot of that
1: (laughs) yeah I also think that it being text based primarily I mean obviously there's images too but it's just normally stills with like very few animations and stuff kind of well like the the text is obviously limited it it kind of helps to like remove limits in the video game sense of as far as like letting them do a lot of different things because when it all boils down, all they have to do is text. Yeah. And, like in that that kind of I think whether artificially or not, like I think it, it makes at least while I'm playing it, it makes me be able to kind of like immerse myself in and like kind of um make it it feels like a much more robust game than than other than other like games in this like fantasy genre just because like it's almost like reading a book
2: <laughs> yeah and i think that becomes the whole like appeal of shadowgate 30 years later right is that in other fantasy genre games you know you could use like final fantasy as an example here you control uh this group of characters on their epic adventure and you directly interact as that character in the overworld doing these things, saying I, you know, like, attacking and being tactical. In this game, you are a character, and you are exploring this, uh, you know, castle throughout uh, first-person view, but the way you interact with this kind of video game is way different than, you know, it's gonna sound silly, but, like, any of the platformers we've played or anything else, like, you're not you just have like the shield on you and provided that you have the shield equipped the game does all the work for you there's no like okay now we're switching to a combat mode where you fight the dragon right it doesn't the game never takes that way so in in that way joe i totally understand what you're saying where it does become more of a book where you're collecting these things or or um choosing it's like a choose your own adventure book you're choosing to perform an action and then based on where you are, what you have, what you've done, the game kind of, like, reads the following paragraph to you, and then you choose the next part of the adventure based off of that information.
0: Yeah, you're not, like, perf- you don't have skills in this game. Like, you don't... Uh, if, if you In the game, you are, like, an adventurer knight guy, so it assumes that if you have the correct equipment you're probably going to do pretty well. Otherwise, it would be kind of weird and pointless.
2: <laughs> right, if it relied on uh, reflexes or uh, fast input from the players at any point, uh, that could get a little weird because of the way that the game works. I feel like before we get any further, similar to what Sean and I did in our Nostalgia Bites episode, the Portopia serial murder case, we should explain or you know just talk a little bit about all the different things that you're allowed to do in this game. And as a brief overview of that, you're allowed to move where you select in a little mini map. uh, It shows you open areas via square boxes, and then you can click on those square boxes. Or if you see said door on the actual screen, you can also move into those. You can look, which allows you to get a better description of specific things in the room. So you might be able to tell it's a sword, but if you look at the sword, it would give you a more detailed explanation of what that sword could possibly be used for later on in the game or it could be a very very vague hint that you wouldn't be able to understand without the uh, accompanying strategy strategy guide there's the <laughs> there's the use function which allows you to use an item usually a combination where you select the item first and then what you want to use it on or use it on yourself there's uh, open and close which is as straightforward as it sounds you can open up a door or a chest or anything else that you think could open, and then close it as well if need be. You can take anything that you can see and you can hit anything that you want. Not saying that it will actually let you take those things or that hitting those things will do anything, but the option is available to every single object in the game. You can speak by uh, talking out. You can control yourself uh, by the self option, which allows you to use items on yourself or uh, do things in the room with yourself. And then uh, additional things you can save, you can move between the inventory, and you can see all your goods. Those last three are really more of like inventory and game management things, not necessarily related to the actual world of Shadowgate. But I think now that we've laid out those moves, that's kind of, that shows, I think, how many permutations in any given room of things that you have available to you and what makes this game so broad and branching from uh from the player's standpoint is that every single room you enter you could just try to brute force your way into another room or into uh collecting everything in the room but that's not the best way to play a shadow gate and you kind of need to understand everything you can do here and then use those tools to uh to explore said room
1: yeah and that being said i feel like um they do a really good job of because you're thrown into this game with all of these options and it's it's almost a little overwhelming at first because you're just like all these things you can do and i think there's just some really good game design in just the first couple of rooms that that gives you that teaches you what to do and when to do it and like the kind of things you, sh- you should look out for in this game like in the very first two rooms you know you get to the second room and it's already a dead end there's a locked door without a key and outside of it you have a door that you would have presumably already used the open command on and if you start looking at things you you'll find like there's the, there's a skull a little skull above the door that says like oh this really makes you think that like that like danger lurks inside or something it uses the words lurks inside making you think like you know there's nothing else you can do here so you might just start trying to like use the open command on the on the skull, maybe because it said something lurks inside when you clicked on the skull, too. So it's like giving you that like a little bit of a, a little bit of a like a lobball ball of a puzzle just so you can like understand like, oh, OK, not everything is necessarily exactly as it seems and I should try things. And then following that, you go into the, to the next room and right away, there's a book that you're just like, I'm going to take this book and you take the book and you die. Like most people, I assume, just like they see a book and they're like, I'll take it, see what it is. But if you, would, if you examine it first, it kind of gives you this, like, idea, like, maybe I should be careful, you know? So, like, it kind of gives you the idea, like, examine things, they'll give you hints, and, like, try different things, like, that you wouldn't expect. Like, right off the bat, you kind of know, like, that's the kind of game you're looking for. It's not going to be necessarily, like, telegraphed for you. You're going to have to figure things out.
0: Yeah, and um, stepping back a bit, just uh, to, to talk about the actions that you can take it is a, a very wide uh like palette of um interactability when it comes to like what you can how you're interacting with the world what options you have um and going back to like comparison to that to portopia uh which was a lot more focused on like mystery solving and the things that you could do were very much about solving uh murder cases uh this one is much more just like what can you tactic or tactilely with your hands do uh in the space provided uh but going off of joe's point yes i i think that those are really cool uh tutorials in in those first couple areas i for one i felt really dumb uh I actually did have to open up the guide immediately because I couldn't understand that opening a skull was a thing. Um, and uh, but I definitely died when I took the book. But so that that taught me that anything could be a trap and I should be wary of these things. Uh, but the skull thing was more of a, like, well, okay, this game is starting me off on the wrong foot because it's immediately going to, to something kind of out there. I thought maybe it could could have started with something a little bit more a, a little less um lateral l- lateral thinking and more so just like okay, this is how you interact with something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I think it's because uh in Legend of Zelda, right, the tutorial there is to enter that cave that is very clearly seen to the person. You can go walk off without a sword and try to get as far as you can and you'll have nothing to fight back with but you enter the cave and then you get the sword that's that's somewhat of of a very beginning tutorial there's the Super Mario Brothers World 1-1 where obviously we've talked about it at length in that episode but it teaches you the idea of jumping over pitfalls this game probably has to be a little more difficult just to you know set up the idea of what you're how you're going to be solving puzzles in this game it's not like the world's hardest puzzle or anything. Uh, I think Joe saying that, you know, by using the look function, it would give you a little more detail about that skull and you'd be able to theoretically solve it on your own. I'm not saying you're dumb, Sean. I didn't solve it either. Uh, but it's not like it's not the world's worst tutorial either. It's not like they purposely made it hard. But yes, they totally could have had something that was more chest like that you then had to open to find the key that you needed, and then you understand, like, oh, yeah, 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 so I got to open things to get items, I got to take said item, and then I have to use it on the door in the same room. This one's a little interesting because you actually have to, like, e- exit back out of the castle and go use the only other thing in your surroundings. Uh, but I, I do think it's a great puzzle now that I've played most of Shadowgate. Like, I do think it has a great way of explaining to you that this game is going to have some uh, really uh, little hidden trinkets all around that you're going to have to kind of explore the pixel art and say like, hmm, maybe this isn't just on the wall and maybe this is something that I need to interact with. You know, we've seen that a few times in this game, even bricks. It's like, hmm, that brick is slightly off-colored. I should hit it,
0: you know? (laughs) You can definitely tell that like this game... It it lends itself well to sort of like playing as a team with like, ooh, uh, why don't you try using that on that? Or like, well, that thing looks weird. Why don't you try doing that? Um, But the game definitely expects you to get stuck a lot. Because I feel like the only way that somebody would decide to try and open a slightly brighter brick than something else is if they've literally tried every other option. (laughs)
1: Well, I'll say, too, that I, I may have been, um, been a little generous when I said, like, oh, the hint of, like, something lurks inside uh, is a great hint. I mean, you know, maybe that, that's still kind of a tough hint. I guess I kind of, like, lucked into this, but, but, like, I just went into the second room. There was no key there. I went back out, and I just started trying things. And I was like, well, there's only a few things on the screen, so I'll try this skull. I did try to um, take the
0: skull. But- But that wasn't it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I I feel like if you just imagine a world where the guide is not that accessible to us, I feel like just with time, like, there's only so many things you could try. And so, like, it's not... That puzzle in itself is not, like, a game-breakingly frustrating puzzle where, like, if you just didn't have the option to... To look at the manual, you probably would have found it eventually just by trial and error. And then that kind of shows you two things that like things aren't always as they seem and like the solution to the problem you're having is not always in the same room. You might have to go back and remember something else. Like I just feel like that sets up that for the game.
2: And an important thing here too, when we're talking about looking at guides or stuff like that, it's... This game is not a game that you can play with a guide. Uh you're not playing it then at that point, especially because <laughs> there's no uh inputs to be done really. That feels like you're just, you know, watching a, a YouTube video at that point. It feels weird oh, yeah. doing everything in the order uh exactly as intended. This game is at its best when you have the uh, you know, as they reference it in the manual, the Shadowgate uh hint guide book, which you could have ordered for five ninety-nine back in the day. Uh if that had come in the mail. Uh which is what I wound up using for my playthrough, that just gives you hints in three different layers of difficulty. It has um an A-tier, A tier, a B tier, and a C for each uh each kind of puzzle in the game. So first you C out, is just
0: telling you where it is, right? Right.
2: C C <laughs> gives you the answer outright. B is a little more suggestive, and A is so vague it's like sometimes I just go right to B. I'm like, okay, well what the hell does that mean?
1: <laughs> Do these correspond to the to the
2: in-game hints no no they don't uh it's more like uh there's a layout of very specific spots where you will get stuck in the game and uh you look at that specific thing that you're stuck in it has a line in it for like you know what you're trying to do and it says go to a32 b47 or c6 you know so then you go to the index first you try the a thing see if you can solve it Based off of that, if you still can't figure it out, you go to the B, and if you still can't figure it out, ideally you would then go on to the C, which would tell you the answer outright. That's a that's the creative way to still like get a get a solving mechanic that doesn't revolve around using a strategy guide for this game. Because when you use a strategy guide, uh, I don't know, the whole point of the game, right, is that you're going to die. They come up with so many kinds of creative deaths and weird deaths and um, things that you wouldn't think could kill you do kill you. Um, The point of the game is to explore and just kind of, uh, you know, try to take every single thing in the game or open everything you see because you're always just when you die, you're just going to start back on the previous screen, right? So it's not like experimentation is frowned upon. Using a strategy guide was something that right away just didn't sit right with me.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's I, I feel like it's like if you were to compare it to like Super Mario Brothers, and you're playing that and you're stuck in that endless dungeon and 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 you just don't care about this puzzle because you just want to go stomp on some Goombas or whatever. You you um you maybe you'd you'd use a guide so you can get back to like the gameplay element that you like. This game, the gameplay element is figuring out where to go next. So if you if you look up where to go next for everything you're not doing the thing that is supposed to be the the challenge. But I'm like, also, only
0: I'm not going to frown upon somebody that, like, has been trying to get past this one thing forever, and they've been playing normally up until then, and they just, you know, they just need to get past it so that they can enjoy figuring out other things.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I won't pretend that I didn't use a guide at all either. Uh, I did a couple times towards the end, only though I'd say because, well, one because i wanted to finish the game before we recorded this and two <laughs> because i uh i've just been burned by nes games before in the sense where it's like well this you would absolutely never figure this out without a guide so i'm like well if that's what if that's happening right now and i'm just wasting my time and i need a guide and then i would look and sometimes i would think that that's the case and and then maybe like later on i would realize like oh you know what there kind of was a hint and if i had unlimited time maybe eventually i would have figured this out but like some of them are pretty you know, pretty vague. So, I like. I think they're all possible, but some of them would take you a long time.
2: Well, I I had an experience like that um early ish on in the game where I got to the room with the tombs in it. Uh, there's like three tombs on each side and they're closed or whatever. So I just started opening them from left to right and I opened the middle one on the left and green slime oozed out and it blocked me from exploring the rest of the tomb because no matter what i did i would walk on that slime and it would be like you just got slimed and then the grim reaper would show up and i'm like what like that's a death uh what's in the slime like why can't i jump over it or whatever anyway not the point the point being that for the longest time i assumed that i had just like i had just gotten stuck in the game obviously you can't soft lock yourself but i assume so you mean
0: you thought that the slime needed to be poured out no that or that or that by
2: pouring it out i blocked myself off from those other doors the only other doors in the game that i thought were left at that point i thought i had explored everything else and thanks to the nostalgia discord uh i just wound up throwing it out there i was like you know, I'm trying to like brute force my way to, to exploring those other tombs. There's a mummy in one of them that I could technically interact with. Everything else I can't interact with. What am I missing? And, you know, even then I got like some polite hints about, you know, you have you been to the basement, which is pretty suggestive, but I was like, <laughs> I definitely have not been to a basement. I wasn't told how to get to that basement, but after just look, going back to the other rooms and just looking through things, sure enough. I got to the basement on my own like nobody told me specifically the uh things I had to interact with or take or whatever. And I don't know, that's like a cool thing where yes, every puzzle is possible and is solvable, but sometimes you just need that uh reassurance or um or modern day functions of the internet to just kind of lead you in the right direction and make sure that you're not completely screwed right
0: (laughs) well if if we're gonna share uh points where we got stuck because of certain things um i i want to talk about uh torches so um so there's like torches are used and it's basically to counter uh just trying to brute force and trying everything i think like there's enough like well, any time you perform an action, either in, like looking, moving, using, whatever, uh, your torch loses a little bit of uh, a little bit of itself. Um, and once it gets low enough, you'll get some like scare tactic music, and it's like, okay, I need to light another torch. And if I don't, then I think the game's over because you're stuck in the dark, and you fall over and hit your hit your face, whatever. So, in your inventory is torch and it shows you the number of torches you have and then on your inventory it will it has a couple torches you can have two torches lit simultaneously you can use them to stagger so that you're never like at risk of running out but at a certain point you need to light certain things on fire there's another line item <laughs> for a torch I learned later that it's a very special torch that has, like, some rings on it, and it's, like, uh it, it's actually a weapons sort of torch. But I just took it as, oh, this is the torch I use when I actually need to use it in the world um uh so that I don't accidentally light another torch when I don't really need to and waste that torch. You guys are following me right now, right? Yes. So, yes. The, there's another way to interact with the torch, and it's to literally navigate your cursor to the light, to the torch that's lit. I did not know that you could select it. I thought it was just in, like, a part of the HUD, an indicator. But you can select a lit torch and then start the fire or melt the thing uh, on the screen. I just that's just something that I don't think I was dumb in terms of puzzle solving. I was just dumb in terms of knowing the actual user interface (laughs) so that I had to look up the look up a guide for.
1: I got stuck at that same point too and I was doing the same thing I was using that like alternate torch or whatever the one that's not part of your other collection of torches uh and and I was using it in a couple things and then it wasn't until I went somewhere else that I didn't even know I needed to use a torch and I found out uh eventually that that there are these in-game hints. If you hit start, it gives you a hint in a lot of, in, in like a lot of the room. Which is exclusive one, to the
2: NES version. Sorry to cut you off, Joe, oh, but it? I just thought that, that was that's a really cool, helpful thing for a game that had been out for a while. They probably decided, like, hey, we should probably include this because the NES audience is younger than the computer audience.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And I imagine they probably also saw like the things that were like, okay, maybe this isn't like so intuitive to solve, so maybe a hint would be warranted here. But at one point it said like hey, don't forget, you can set things on fire. It said something like that. And I was like, yeah, but I've been trying that. And that's what just like made me like, it, what, it did make for a really cool, like the witness style moment where I was like, oh my God, like, could it be? And then when it worked, like, it was like, oh, that's really cool. It worked that way. So you came but, yeah, to that, that conclusion
0: game, by yourself.
1: Uh, I came to that conclusion with the game's hint. I mean, because it kept telling me something needs to be set on fire and my torch wasn't setting anything on fire. So, like, I guess then I was like, well, there's that one that's on fire. <laughs> but, but like, I don't know. I feel like it's giving me a little too much credit because it is, like, it was just telling me you have to set something on fire. And I tried everything else that could set it on fire. And then finally I was like, okay, well, that's there. Maybe I can select that. Now, Joe, <laughs> do
2: you feel like that kind of hint, though, is it, 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 that that's a good puzzle? Like, if, if, the game kind of had to go out of its way to give you an additional hint for something that wasn't really story-slash-adventure-slash-castle-driven. It was something that, like, the game handed over to you because they probably didn't communicate well enough how to defeat the Wraith otherwise.
1: Yeah. Like, what should—well, so this—at this, this point that I'm talking about is the mummy. Oh, okay. That comes out. And, like, yeah, I think—I totally agree. I think, like, something—an alternative that should have happened should have been, like, you know— the text should have said, like, the mummy comes out and it, and it smells like gasoline or something like that. <laughs> like, just something that makes you think, oh, I wonder if it's going to start on fire if I let it on fire. <laughs> or, like, its wraps are so dry that they, you know, better keep it away. O- I don't know. Like, that's almost too obvious also. But, like, some some contextual thing that, like, maybe there's a burnt mummy next to him or something. Right. Just, like, then there's a contextual clue rather than the game saying, don't forget you can set things on fire. Yeah. Kind of hint like that is yeah like not the best kind of hint but i i imagine that that was something that like they realized oh and and the pc version like nobody's been able to really figure this out because it's just kind of random so let's just toss in this like easy hint the
2: the castle itself is full of secrets like that's the whole idea right is that this castle's crazy and there's all these different things that you're gonna have to try to figure out how to get to rooms that don't technically exist
0: or whatever that's how the king pitched it to you when right, right. You yeah
2: when, he, when they were building it they were like yeah this the is gonna be like crazy the, this is gonna be like the world's <laughs> hardest castle to navigate like that's why i'm building it like this uh and that's why it's gonna have a waterfall uh but Speaking of the waterfall, that's what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, similar to the torch thing that you were talking about, Sean, where you're like, oh, I didn't think I could actually touch the torch on the UI. Sometimes they, on purpose, don't show things on the little mini map that are areas you can go to as well, because they're trying to keep them a secret, Uh, like going behind the waterfall to find the, uh, the red, blue, and I think it's a white gem, to find those three gems you have to go behind the waterfall, but it doesn't show up on the mini map. So therefore, you either have to notice the small little hole, select move, and click into it, or you have to find out about it via you know some hint that isn't necessarily like given to you inside the game, uh, contextually. That is
1: not contextually, yeah, right. Non contextually. See, this was this was one of I think maybe it was the first time it was one of the early, one of the first times that I used a guide. Because I was like, I was just lost oh. in all these rooms. See, because I, was, I, something.
0: I actually and, got there. That, I feel better about myself now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's just it just comes down to like circumstance. Because you can kind of see like a crack behind there. I'm assuming that's what you noticed, or like,
0: uh, I noticed that there was a there was more gap than I would have expected on the waterfall, and I'm like, huh, maybe, and then it worked. So yeah. Uh, See, but,
1: isn't, isn't that like a really cool moment? And yeah, like, it oh, is. Like, I, I didn't like think those, it was work and it worked. But
0: like, it also, I I do get what Mike is saying in that you've got this tool that is that's sort of simplifying it, and making it easier to navigate, so that you don't have to keep clicking around the screen um, and just pointing to where all of the entrances and exits are, where places you can go. Um, and yet, in just a like a, a small amount, I, I think it happens somewhere else where you can. I think there are other points where there are secret passageways that you have to actually uh manipulate the screen instead of uh using the the nav box but if it's only a couple exceptions it kind of uh makes you second guess that as a tool I don't I don't yeah,
1: know Yeah no see that's how that's how I felt when I first saw this waterfall thing because I was like well at first when I when I realized how to do it from the guide I was like okay, that that's cool, but, like, yeah, I wasn't aware that there would ever be a moment where an exit wouldn't appear on my map because every other exit or entrance has appeared on the map. Yeah. Once I knew that, I was, like, keeping an eye out for that kind of thing. But, like, that's what made it feel a little weird to me. But then, later on, after I discovered that there were these hints, I went back to a bunch of places and, uh, and tested out the hints. And uh, the hint there was take a look at that waterfall. Kind of looks like you could fit behind there or something like that. Like it was literally that. So so like, had I known about the hint, that one would have been a really easy one actually, but like, I I just didn't know that it would do that.
0: And I guess going into a a little bit more detail uh, unnecessarily, there are other secret passageways that you will like, oh, you hit the book and so it opens. And now on the little nav pad, uh, there's another entrance that you can use. Maybe if you just looked at that little dark crevice and you then you just exclaimed to yourself like ah oh, i can get behind there and then it opens the entrance and that fixes the issue logically but we well, they didn't do that yeah <laughs> and i'm i'm less concerned about number of secret
2: passages uh my point was actually going all the way back to the torch thing again of just how (laughs) how the game itself like the way it sets up all the things that you can do in the game and the the inventory that you have the fact that little things like that using the torches that are actually lit on your screen like not knowing that those are interactable not knowing that there's passageways you can go behind at least the very first time you do it uh, looking at things and requiring to have to look at them several times for it to actually trigger the thing. I'm thinking about that e rope room uh, or what e pro <laughs> e por. Yeah, so uh, actually, I actually said rope backwards, but just the e part, not the whole thing. <laughs> hey, um, Latin, yeah, <laughs> e um, You know, you have to you you learn the spell by looking at it three times, and the first time it doesn't like suggest that anything is going to happen. The second time it kind of hints that like you know, oh, maybe you're seeing something, and then the third time it actually teaches you the spell. I don't know. It's just little things like that with the way that the game set itself up to work that are a little disappointing. They're fun secrets, and they feel good. Like, Sean, you were saying you feel proud of yourself to have known that you solved the waterfall thing on your own. <laughs> that was which, also a joke, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Like uh, To the right player, anything that, that um, requires some kind of uh intellect, right? The uh, the game didn't necessarily hand it to you. You could just go open any door in this game, right? You're not going to feel good about like, yeah, I opened that door and I walked right through it, right? Like that's not <laughs> that's not the appeal of the game. The appeal of the game are the secrets, but I think some of the secrets or, you know, even just a good batch of them require something that uh the rules of the game, especially given the limited, very limited manual uh explanation of like how to do anything in this game. I don't know, it just doesn't feel like, it's fully player-friendly.
0: Well, on that note, I mean, okay. But there are several specific instances that uh, we have pointed out in which the game is not fully fully player-friendly. But I did just want to say that, like, once you realize that, yes, there's a, there's a key in the skull, and yes, you can use the the torch to light things and whatever, the... The actual usability of this interface, in general, I found to be very player-friendly. Like, I know what that map is doing. I I know that you can use stuff on yourself in ways that I didn't fully understand in games like Nobunaga's Ambition, which is also a very menu and text-heavy game where I was just sort of like, I don't know, uh, I guess I'll buy some rice. Like, there is, and I know it's not the same thing, but... Uh, the, there's enough feedback and the feedback is quick enough and the, uh, the descriptions are clear enough and the translation good enough that I, I did think that this actual
1: G like GUI has aged pretty well. Yeah. I kind of felt the same way. Cause I'll say at first, like I noticed the age pretty quickly where I was like, okay, yeah, I have to open the door I have to unlock the door, then I have to click open, then I have to open the door, then I have to click move, then I have to move through the door. Then I have to select the item, and then I have to select use, and then I have to combine it with the... like I have to select the slingshot, but then I have to also select a stone, and I have to use the stone on the slingshot, then use the slingshot on the enemy. And I was like, at first, I was like, man, this is tedious. But I'll say that evaporated pretty quickly. Like I just got used to it, and it was like, yeah, there's an extra step here and there, but it did feel pretty organic, and it was like, it was never... I was never super confused, minus a couple of things where it's like, yeah, we didn't know that you can use those torches and whatnot. But that felt like deliberate, like a deliberate moment to be an aha moment. So like the interface never felt like it held it back for me or like or made things confusing. And I think a lot of that is because, again, because it's so, it's text based. So like a lot of the things that might be confusing in another game, you use something on a door and something happens, and they're trying to rely on this like pixelated imagery and sound to happen like this is just they just describe what happened so like there's clarity there where there aren't in a lot of other games
2: and whether the actual story is good or deep or intriguing the this is one of the most immersive nes games we've ever played not just from a storytelling point of view but from a uh you know video games let you explore another world point of view right (laughs)
0: Yeah, and I think even compared to its closest analog Portopia murder mystery, I I think like I was again minus the torch thing. I was never sort of taken out of it as much um as as that game. There there were more instances where I'm just like, "Okay, how do I actually how, how do I how do I manipulate this game to do what I want it to do uh in in, there were less in this game than there was in Portopia is what I'm trying to say.
2: There are tons of items that you find in this game, tons of weapons that you can equip on yourself, uh, armor, what have you, spells you can learn to then use. Uh, my point being, we can't we can't go over everything, and I'm not asking you to necessarily call out favorites, but what do you think about the fact that there is no combat system or that there is no... Um, you know, these things act like checks uh, at particular moments, like, up, oh, you can't get any further in this room because you don't have this item either equipped or combined with the right thing or using it on the right thing. It's really just acting as um, progression points, granted a little more skillfully than we've seen in most games, but they're not actually like, you know, uh, having the sword doesn't require you to then uh, use the sword on any uh, enemies.
1: I think that, like, well, just splitting that up into the first part of the question being, like, there's no combat and it's all based on these, like, more cerebral things. I think that's perfect for this game. And I think a lot of other games would have thought, we're making a video game on the NES. We need to to have some action-y element. I mean, think of all the other games that have tried to do, like, 3D, quote-unquote, exploring through, like, a maze this accomplishes the same thing of exploring through a maze, but it's not doing like a 3D effect. It's not making you like run. It's not making you do any sort of attack. It's just focusing on what the the main thing it's trying to do. And I think that that's why it feels like so much more complete of an experience because like it's just playing to that strength and not trying to like add other elements of gameplay for the sake of like making it more video gamey because that's just not what it's trying to be
0: yeah i agree i'm i'm uh you're speaking to a guy who's uh one of their favorite games is uh a game in which you have a gun but there is no combat system so i think that that was also like using weapons more so as tools in an exploration slash adventure situation um and not so much a twitch uh testing of skills, um, of video game skills. Uh, I think that that was what this game needed. And if it didn't do that and it went in a like, all right, and here's the, we're going to take you to the battle screen and it's going to have some half baked battle system, uh, that would have really hurt the game.
1: It, correct me if I'm wrong, but th- there is a sword in this game. You don't use that sword for anything, right? Or the did I forget what I used? I could have
0: swore I used... No, you, I used the sword to uh, kill the golem thing after I hit him with the sling. Otherwise, he gets oh, back up. Oh, yeah,
1: I used. I did that, too. That's right. And then when you examine him afterwards, it's like, yeah, it's dead. What would you think? <laughs> you stabbed him with a sword. <laughs> a little sense of humor there, too. I forgot that that happened. Yeah. Because I was just noting that in the manual, it says, like... All you need is your wits and like, and a sword would, would be helpful too. And I thought maybe that was like a little winky joke to the fact that you'll get the sword and never use it.
0: Oh, I also, I did did kill myself with the sword once accidentally.
1: I killed myself just by hitting myself.
0: (laughs) I just saw stars. (laughs) I I thought that you had to equip the sword. So I used the sword on self and I died. (laughs)
2: There is a write up guide on game FAQs for just the, um, the deaths and all the different ways to die if you wished to, to know them all. Uh, it's for the NES version, but I'm sure it's not too different from all the other different versions. You don't have to tell me a favorite death or anything, but I do feel like that's part of Shadowgate's allure, right? Is uh, the fact that you are, con- at least for me, I was constantly creatively dying. It wasn't always the same thing over and over again. In fact, if anything, it sucks. That the torch system is the thing that kills you the most because you wind up running out of your torch or whatever. That's the least creative death, in my opinion. Is what I can't survive in the dark. Like I got this far, but now that the lights are out, I suck. Uh, I'm sure I have enough time to to light another torch, but some of these <laughs> other ones are are, um, are are just very creative. I even like the you got slimed one. I, I know I was like you pissed. got slimed. I know I was pissed that like I thought I locked myself, but. The idea of being slimed is just like, I don't know, that yeah. that could be gruesome or it could be really funny.
0: Well, there was no pain. Uh, the, my favorite way that I died was pretty early on uh, where there's a trap door and it's, it, it leads to the Epor room. Um, you can go down and the moment that I realized that maybe things weren't going to go the way I thought they were, uh, the description said that you fall for a few moments. Um, and then it shows you the room and I'm like, "Oh, okay. I'm in the room." And then it says, "Oh no, you've broken both your legs. Uh, you're not going to die immediately, but you're you're toast. It's going to take a while." Bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish I could think of like I know there were a couple that I was just like, "Come on, it's just like it's like comically over the top like gruesome and just like how I randomly died, but I cannot think of any right now."
2: And I like the descriptions, though, too. It's one thing to just say, like, you know, you died from falling or you died um, from impaling yourself. But, like, they really go into detail. Uh, I'm only using this one as an example because I have it pulled up on the game FAQs thing. But uh, on the lookout point where you find uh, the gold pot, if you choose to take the gold pot, it doesn't just say that the alligators ate you. It says, as you move the pot, you realize that you have fallen for the oldest trick in the book. You suddenly find yourself knee deep in the moat. It seems that the alligators really enjoy your company. Like, it 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 just you know you picture what happens next with uh, you and the alligators. You know. (laughs) Well,
1: there there is also one that like this is one that because I was playing with a couple friends too. Like you said, like where we were trying to figure things out together, and we were all just like, what? Like, come on. (laughs) Where where, what it was was uh, there's that room with the three mirrors. Oh yeah, and the center mirror is the one where you see your reflection, and I guess that's like your hint that like that's the one. Oh, one of them takes you to you space, but yeah, that's the one. You 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 hit that mirror, and it says behind the mirror is a portal to the middle of outer space. You're sucked <laughs> through, and like you're like it's just like what?
2: It's
1: crazy. It's crazy. I, yeah, I told you, yeah, it's a crazy
2: castle when the king it. Designed... <laughs> um. It's not a king, though, right? It's, um, it's a warlock lord who you're going in. Warlock right? lord,
0: yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's the warlock named lord or if it's just the warlock ward lord.
2: And the castle is Castle Shadowgate. Uh, that's where the name comes from. I'm, I mean, you know, we don't have to get into the lore or anything, but I think that that's <laughs> funny that uh, we went the whole thing with, without explaining why it's called Shadowgate. Yeah. <laughs> You can save in this game but you know if you're playing it uh you know through emulation or whatever uh or however you choose to play video games these days i i noticed that you know just using the torch thing as an example again when the torch goes out you die and then you're only just brought back one previous room at least in my experience maybe later on in the game it it moves further moves you further back but That's not really like a lot of punishment. You don't lose any of your items, which which I think is a good call because that'd be kind of confusing to do inventory and see if you can spot what you're missing or missing all of it. That would be crazy too, having to re-explore the whole castle. Uh, But because you just go back one screen, I almost never bothered relighting my torches before it was too late. I would just accept the punishment of death go back one screen and just have a new fully lit torch uh, to me. I didn't have to think about an inventory system for that kind of stuff. A lot of times in this game, death is it, one. It's fine that it's easy and to, to come right back because then that encourages exploration. But if there's, you know, if they're going to have like things like, Oh, the torch goes out and you die. It just feels like, well, then what's the punishment for death?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess, it would make it more punishing if uh, it just brought you back to a set place with the same amount of torches or just that one torch at that torch's level, um, so that you'd have to go and find one real quick. But it's a finite resource, and that would definitely lead you to soft locking. So I really don't know what their other option would be unless there were set checkpoints. Um, but even then you just you've already solved the puzzle so it's not going to take you too much longer now that you know how to do everything so i don't know how you would punish the player in a situation
1: yeah that's a good plan I mean, i was thinking the same thing as checkpoints but but that's true if you already know the answers you're just making them like do more work cuz adventure games yeah
0: in, in adventure games in general like that's it's kind of it. Like, deaths are just a the thing, that they're usually funny, um, and it's just like, okay, you need to, you're just gonna be stuck. Like, the fail state is being stuck. Not so much dying.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds of it because on one hand, and this is probably the one that I that I lean more towards, I think that it not being super punishing is good for this game particularly, because the game is not about overcoming these challenges that like you need to try and redo or anything it's about your progress and like figuring out the puzzles and like there's nothing particularly satisfying about like game over redo all these puzzles that you already know the answer to yeah so like i'm glad that it's not punishing too punishing for this game but you know mike you have a really good point about like the torch thing like that was clearly implemented to give you like a sense of time a sense of urgency and it's sort of like completely and immediately undermined by the fact that there's no real punishment for letting your torch go out other than going back one screen. Um, so I'm not really sure what the alternative is. But, but that also leads me to the question, of, isn't it possible already to softlock the game? I mean, quote-unquote lock. I guess, just fail if you run out of torches and you... I mean, you can just run out of torches. And then, you, and then when you die, you go back one screen and still don't have enough torches.
0: But I, I think you get the fully lit torch and you can go pretty far on a torch. So you'll oh, die God. a lot. But you will do know what to do. Do torches
1: respawn? Like no. So, like, couldn't you just run out of torches and everywhere that's? I guess there's always like going to be more torches as you progress.
0: Yeah, and then once you do progress, then that problem will probably go away. Yeah, um, that's true. But I guess it's really just a an annoyance.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: On the uh,
2: Discord, uh, one of our uh, Discord users told us that there is an achievement for the retro achievements uh website which is where you can link it to emulated uh consoles and then unlock achievements that oh. way yeah really cool stuff there is an achievement for this game where you just use three torches through the entire game and i believe if the math is right that is 90 moves so it is possible wow. to beat this entire game in just 90 moves um granted that doesn't i don't think that means 90 actions that means 90 actual moving from one screen to another okay
0: so maybe it is just movement that makes the torch go okay
2: that's the way i remember the torches at least it never went out in the middle of uh an adventure for me but maybe that's not true maybe i'm misremembering
1: yeah i'm also at the point where i'm not sure if i'm remembering correctly but i actually thought the opposite i thought that there was a time where like I did something I I searched something or I picked something up and then suddenly the torch ominous um, music came on
0: yeah who knows
1: we should there's know there's no way to, no way to know <laughs> <laughs>
0: um
1: I, I'd like to jump back real quick and talk about I know we were talking before about like items and we weren't going to talk about our favorite items but this is one that's true I necessarily it was my favorite necessarily say it was my favorite but it's one that stands out to me as something that's like a good uh a good indicator of like the the interesting thought that was put into a lot of these puzzles, and that's there's a uh, I think it's like an icy orb or a, a frozen orb or something. It's an orb you get early on that is really cold. Yes. And in you know there's a, there's a spot that you've probably already been at this point where there's a lake, and on the other side of the lake there's a skeleton holding a key, and in the lake there's a shark. So you can't get to the key. You can't swim over there because the shark will eat you. And not, you know, it doesn't take like the most intuitive mind to be like, oh, to make the connection, like maybe I can freeze the water. But it is kind of a cool like connection to make. It might not be the first thing you do, but you freeze the water. the, the The orb gets frozen underwater. You walk across. You get the key. You move on. Later on, there's another point where you're in a room where like the uh, the floor is so hot you can't even enter the room. And you're like, oh, if only I still had that orb. And I think eventually I, I kind of realized that there was a way. I don't remember how I did it. I don't remember if it was a, yeah, with I a use lit a torch. torch. Yep. Is it a lit torch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You use a lit torch. So this must have been after I found out you can do that. Uh, use a lit torch on the ice. That melts it for long enough for the orb to like come dislodged from the ice and float up. You let go. It freezes again. You can pick up the orb and reuse it. And it's like that's just that's like something that you would think of if this were real life, you know <laughs> yeah. it's like it's not like a rule or whatever It's just like, oh, this is how this is how <laughs> physics works, Shadow gate. <laughs> I should be able to do this, yeah you know, but you know what I mean like it's not just like no I oh, okay there's like that. A, there's a there's a puzzle here with like these there's four puzzle elements. it's just like, what would I do in this situation like and and the whole game's not like that, but it is cool to be like, oh, I thought of it and I was able to do it
0: yeah that that's w- sort of um in microcosm one of the uh one of the things that i point out in in a lot of these episodes of just like abilities not just and like not just being key items having multiple uses for things and i'm usually talking about like your weapons or your uh just you know abilities in like an action game or a platformer but in this situation there is there was a spell that you use, and then when you try and use the spell again for some reason or other, it'll just say like, "Oh, you don't need this spell anymore," which just <laughs> makes the spell a key item.
1: Yeah. And I
0: know that the 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 ball, the ice sphere, is just a, um just a key item. You are also using it multiple times in different contexts. Um. So I I really appreciated that, and I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of forgot about it.
1: Yeah, and like you know, if we're being like honest and really looking at it, like, yeah, it's not like I could have gone off the rails and done something interesting and unique that they didn't intend. But like the first time you play it, it's like, well, yeah, they they intended that, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, but like so like I, I guess I'm saying that it's like it's not exactly what like I feel like what you're often looking for, which is like an ability that you can use it's the spirit of just of. like the moment you need to use. Yeah. But like but this, they just put more thought into it. It's not just like, it's not just like this simple like lock and key mechanic. Mm-hmm. You know, it requires thought.
2: I think it's worth mentioning how the game progresses too. Uh, just probably from the inventory standpoint as well. Uh, you don't really hold on to everything forever, and uh, the game does kind of feel like it changes as you uh, explore. The castle, not necessarily from a gameplay perspective, but more from like uh, surroundings and awareness. Uh, the, the beginning of the game, the, the items that you collect there and the kind of like, you know, world that you're building in your head. I, I feel like it changes pretty drastically, especially the number of spells you'll go on to learn and the types of encounters you'll have. It definitely uh, gets a little crazier uh, the longer the game goes on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it goes from just, like, yeah, a pretty mundane castle where you're just like, okay, I found a bone, and I'm picking up rocks, and oh, I got a sword, to, okay, this is the staff of the Golden Twelve, <laughs> and this is the yada yada of something or other, and it you're definitely stepping into a more, uh, <laughs> like, eldritch place. Um, and there is an escalation there, so it it because it, there's never a point where it's like okay now this is where the heat turns on, but it's sort of a a slow burn to getting to uh, this place is crazy like the construction yeah. workers said,
1: <laughs> and it and it becomes a it becomes like a a thing where suddenly later in the game you have pages and pages of things in your inventory. So it's not just like the puzzles become harder just in that sense where it's like sometimes just by process of elimination early on, you can be like, well, I have these four items. Maybe one of them works on this thing. Once you have pages and pages of it, like you really have to think or else waste a lot of your time yeah. in in just trying things. But there is something kind of satisfying also about like uh, a puzzle that you're stumped on and suddenly you realize it's an item you've had for like hours Yeah. that you had never knew what to do with. Like, oh, why or did you know, I pick up sphinx. this skull? Yeah exactly yeah (laughs) there's a sphinx at one point that that will just every time you talk to it'll just ask you a different riddle and like the answer to the riddle which are always pretty easy but still kind of cool the answer to each riddle is just like an item you might have picked up or you might not have so if you didn't pick up that item like you're not gonna get past the sphinx this time until you go get whatever item they're talking about
0: which really just gives a reason for all of those otherwise just junk items if we're using like a like a Skyrim analogy, it gives them a reason to exist. <laughs> yeah,
2: is that a known thing with sphinxes? This is off topic too. Yeah, yes. the yeah,
1: they, they, they tell riddles. Riddles, yeah, like yeah. their thing.
2: Yeah. Cool. Uh, Joe, near near the sphinx, uh, that that woman who's like tied up too. That was an interesting uh, gameplay moment for me, where you have to uh, <laughs> stab her with the silver arrow to reveal that she is a wolf. Uh, and the wolf kind of looks like an unintimidating dog too. So it's like, oh, I guess it really wasn't like. <laughs> This was really wasn't that bad. Yeah. Like did I really need to yeah. kill this thing too? But obviously if you didn't do anything to it, it would have attacked you and you would have been yeah. tricked. Yeah. So you have An to do that. Epic gamer moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't trust the <laughs> yeah. women. Uh but here we are. <laughs> but I don't
1: I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was some context around that room. Maybe it was like a growling she was in or the something moonlight. that was like
0: She looked really nice in the moonlight which is moonlight werewolf yeah but werewolf there was something
1: stuff. else too where it's like in the room before you heard growl or there was a cage or something or uh, oh, something yeah. like that where it was like
0: there was another you, dog you, like, in the laboratory but i don't know if it yeah. was the same also it doesn't make sense that she's in the moonlight cuz that's when they turn into werewolves that's true yeah that i just never mind that
1: <laughs> but uh, you know speaking of interesting things near the sphinx <laughs> there's There's a puzzle much later in the game, towards the end of the game, where there are just these three levers. And this is the most escape room vibe I got through the whole game. There are these three levers, and in the Sphinx room, there is a... On the stairs, there are just, like, images of lines, like, all facing up, and then two facing up and one facing down, and then, like, one facing up, two facing down, which is kind of, like, illustrating, like, the steps of which... When you should... Which levers you should pull down in which order... Oh. And you might not make that connection right away because there's really no connection to, like, what does this room have to do with that lever room? Except for the fact that there are these weird lines on the stairs. So, like, if you're really playing this game for a long time... Yeah, if you're really playing this game for a long time, like, that would be something that I feel like you would... You would, you would probably put in your back pocket, like, what does this mean? And then when you're at the levers, I don't know how long it might take you because admittedly I did look that one up and then I hated myself yeah, for looked, it because I, I felt up. like it would have been so cool to have figured that out through the the symbols on there. And I had noted the symbols. Like I said, I was kind of rushing just <laughs> because I wanted to finish it this week. But, um, but, like, that's a cool one to me. I know that that would be one that a lot of people would probably get really frustrated with, and I probably would too, but it's like – It's really difficult, but I don't think it's, like, crazy unfair because of how, like, just because of how unorthodox those symbols on the wall are, that should...
0: And and by now, like, that's that's far enough into the game that you not only know the mechanics, but you also sort of just get the gist of what they want you to do. And by now you should know that there's going to be some unrelated stuff that comes into play later... Um, So if you play long enough, you'll probably make the connection.
1: Yeah.
2: And this could be specific to me, but I do feel like sometimes the difference between visual cues within a room and text-based cues, even through narrative storytelling in this game, uh, really make the difficulty of the puzzle, uh, you know, like wildly different. So I'll use the throne room as an example with that giant skeleton When you first enter that room, it just tells you that you've entered the throne room with a giant skeleton wearing a golden crown. Obviously, like, somebody who made it this far shouldn't try to take the gold crown off the skeleton. (laughs) But instead, you would notice that he has one thing in one arm and nothing in the other. And so the game wants you to put the... uh, Hopefully, this isn't a spoiler alert. (laughs) they want you to put the scepter (laughs) into his other hand. And then that opens up, like, uh, a side of the wall that then the game uses the narrative to tell you, uh, you know, the wall has opened and reveals a ring shaped hole. And it's like, we're how far into this game now? And you're yeah. telling me like the shape of the hole of what would fit in it. And it's I just literally
0: happened... the thing I have. Right, yeah. exactly. I just happen <laughs> yeah. to have
2: a ring in my inventory. Like I don't know, like that's a kind of thing where like, yeah, visually it would be hard to make it, I guess, ring shaped and not be silly, right? Like not be a comical, like ring sketched onto a wall but yeah, sometimes I, the, they, the text clues are just easier right
0: and <laughs> again i know we're not trying to like redesign the game here but if they just did close ups for stuff like that there i think there are some other situations where it would warrant it instead of just defaulting to descriptions but i and and i'm sure in later shadowgate games um it does do that Then it would just be like, oh, here's what it looks like. And then you'd just see a circle carved into it, um, like, at scale. And it wouldn't be as on the nose, but it would still be pretty easy, you know? Like, like, oh, I've had this ring for a long time.
1: Yeah, I can see that being frustrating. I'll I'll admit, when I got to that point, I actually didn't have the ring yet. So as easy as the puzzle was that I need a ring there, I was like, oh, where the heck do I get this ring? (laughs) So I had to go back and, like, re-explore the whole castle. So it was still... uh, you know, it's still a challenge on my end.
2: On the sequels and spin-off side, the original MS-DOS game Shadowgate came out only two years prior in 1987. So that means it must have been pretty successful to then immediately, like, within two years' time, get a NES port. A lot of times with these computer games, you see, you know, it's from 1983, 1985, like uh, you know, only 2 years time. Feels like a lot of that also just went into porting the game over to the NES. For anybody who wants to check out that version, it's available uh to be played for free on archive.org.
1: Ooh. Yeah,
2: so maybe Sean, you know, you see the differences. Uh the color palette is definitely different in uh in that version of Shadowgate. It's black and, b- and white, right? Well, I believe yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I believe the first the very first version of the game is black and white, but I think this archive.org one lets you play like a couple of different computer versions, and so you could play like a very pinkish toned, uh, maybe that computer was only capable of like red (laughs) color values, but yeah, everything's just kind of pink.
0: Or is it just like uh, an old Game Boy Color uh, playing a Game Boy game where you can change the the
2: Oh, that could be what it is, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, that's an option for people. (laughs) And then Shadowgate kind of went like MIA for a while until 1993 for the TurboGrafx 16 it's called Beyond Shadowgate. And unlike the first Shadowgate, this one is not a point and click adventure. It is a platform game. Not in yeah, not an action game though, uh like a it's a classical point and click style adventure game viewed from a platform perspective. You can move your hero around examine manipulate and take objects uh if you have a moment look up beyond Shadowgate to just kind of get the idea of what i'm talking
0: about i'm i'm confused so there's
1: you're like clicking on things still and yeah examining things
0: so isn't that just the point and click game or are you actually using directional buttons and a jump command to to platform
1: well, that's a good question,
2: Sean. I didn't play the game, so I can't say <laughs> for certain. This just looks like
0: a point-and-click adventure game, Mike.
2: <laughs> Are you sure, though? Because I'm thinking, like, in a point-and-click adventure game with your your character on screen and you click on things and then he goes to them, right, and, like, interacts yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. I can't say for certain that that's what the TurboGrafx-16 version does. Okay. And then in 1999, uh, six years later... Uh, 12 years after the original release we get the Game Boy Color version of Shadowgate so I know everybody's dying to take Shadowgate on the go and the Game Boy Color version with uh, enhanced sprites and animation um, finally came out and in certain regions was released as Shadowgate Classic but um, I, I think Shadowgate also is just fine as a title. Do we have any preference? Does it have to have the classic thing? Is that just like is that marketing?
0: I'd prefer uh, new Shadowgate,
2: <laughs> right? Because it's really you. not, though, right? Like even Shadowgate Classic, it's like, well, there's only two games released, and I, yeah. and nobody really knows about beyond Shadowgate, so.
1: Yeah, I think you need to have a lot more games in your lineup before you can start being like, and Shadowgate—it's Cl- just Shadowgate. That's that's what Shadowgate was. You made the same game. It's Shadowgate again. Maybe just make it, it Crystal like,
0: Shadowgate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Shadowgate Gold and Silver. <laughs>
0: But
2: maybe they named it Shadowgate Classic because that same year in uh, 1999, Shadowgate 64 Trials of the Four Towers was released. And Sean, again, not a game I have played, but this one looks (laughs) like a 3D first person adventure game. No pointing and clicking, uh, even though that probably would have been a better game on the N64.
0: Can you tell me that, that title one more time?
2: Shadowgate 64 Trials of the Four Towers, and granted, like if you uh, see a book or a uh, a flute, you you can you get a text interface that says, "Will you take the magical instrument?" <laughs> and you can select yes or no. But that doesn't make it a point and click.
0: No, no, no. This one looks very different. Having not played it, it almost looks like a, a fixed camera perspective, like. Like, almost like a survival horror game in a way. But I don't know. Um, That's interesting. And in
2: 2014, and still to this day, they're releasing uh, this version of the game. Shadowgate was remastered for uh, Steam, all the current consoles at that time. Now it's available on Nintendo Switch. Um, It's basically the same game as the original Shadowgate that we played today, But with really, really nice artwork and uh, quality of life improvements, I kind of am interested in this, like uh, after having played uh, this version, just to see what are the quality of life improvements and how did they, did they fix the game at all, like in any particular ways, or is it really just like
0: a lot more moody? I see a radial like menu that probably makes it a bit more easy to interact with things.
2: Yeah, and even just... You know what I'm saying, though, right? Like, if you look yeah, at yeah. the Steam page, like, just even the design of it, like, the fact that every single room has been uh, redesigned, I wonder if they, um, you know, made the hints a little more suggestive in, inside the room.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in, in playing any other versions of this game and seeing what it did, but I feel like... This is not a game you can replay pretty close to when you first played <laughs> Probably it. Probably true. Like I need to wait until I forget everything, <laughs> and then I'd love to replay it someday.
2: So you're gonna move on to Beyond Shadowgate
1: then, in that in that case. yes, and I'll let you know what it is.
2: I think what I was trying to say there, Sean, with Beyond <laughs> Shadowgate, is that in that game it's a different kind of point and click, where it's more like you're you're watching your character like, and you're solving puzzles with him inside of the room rather than like the first person like just i don't know yeah i guess it doesn't sound that different but to me it seems like it's a different kind of thing where you're like you're having your character move about the room rather yeah. than the static position of just like i'm gonna place the sword here and i'm gonna uh take this book like in this one you kind of have it to looks like to make me, your character move around
0: yeah, to me like just looking at screenshots, uh it just looks like a monkey island kind of thing where you're you might be clicking around and you click and he walks over there. Um just that that classic style look. But maybe maybe it does control differently.
2: No, I think you're right though. I think that's what I'm saying is I misspoke about my first line where I was like this is a platform game not a point and click game. I'm just saying it's a different kind of point and click game. Similar, it's more like Monkey Island and less like Shadowgate. I would say that those are two different kinds of games.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, like maybe subgenre. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, and this one probably because it comes after uh, Secret of Monkey Island. It's like, yeah, we're gonna do more like that because that was a really uh, that made high selling game. Yeah, it made a lot of money, yeah. and I'd like to make <laughs> some money.
0: I'd like some money, Mike.
2: I would love some money, and you know. We're not going to get it right now because we have something bigger to do, Sean.
1: <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to do that segue.
2: Right. Uh, some people think that they can bribe us with money to get games like Shadowgate on the Essential Games list. But in truth, we just vote on the segment, which is called the name that I already said it was, which is <laughs> the Essential Games list.
0: Sean, your vote. I, um i'm in a bit of a pickle here because i do really like shadowgate and i i, I do think it it uses the uh the abilities and the limitations of the n e s really well um i think that it for a a, a, a an eight bit escape the room slash point and click adventure style game um this works really well and the, the puzzles are great, and the, um, the, some of the puzzles are great. And the art looks cool, if a little simplistic. Um, but it's, it's such a good port, apparently, that it's basically the same as every other release of this game. And I can only imagine that some of the other releases are better than this game in terms of, like, visual fidelity and maybe uh, ease of use. I don't know. Um, so I, I don't really know what to do in this situation. Um, as maybe I can just do this as, like, a tentative, a tentative yes, a, a tentative essential. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, and you can tell me if that's legal or not.
1: Well, I mean, we only have a few episodes before you'll have a chance to take it off, so I mean, I feel like I've done that before, where I'm like, I'm going to put this on, and then maybe I'll decide to take it off later. (laughs) But remember, we all have to agree to take it off. That's true,
0: that's true. Uh, I'm going to tentatively say that this is an essential game.
2: I'm going to jump in instead of having uh, Joe vote next, but I totally agree with the gamifying the essential games. Let's just have the fun, right? So go ahead and put it on and see if that strategy pays off. Um, (laughs) You know, just going to two things that you said about using the power of the NES or just even the experience of playing on the NES. Yeah, I think this game does it a lot better than not essential game Tetris did where like people wanted NES Tetris to be on the essential games list, probably most just because that's the one that they played a lot and it was crazy popular and it kind of shook up the states at the time as like, you know, oh everybody's playing NES Tetris. Like that specific version was the one that put Tetris on the map. But it really didn't like use the full power of the NES or even just feel like an NES game. That could have been on any console and you all know it. But like Shadowgate is also on every console. And so to answer the other part for Sean, you know, knowing that this is a point and click game, I got to think that just the quality of life improvement of having a mouse on a computer and being able to freely move around between the the actual room that you're in, the mini map, the items uh, in your inventory, all of that stuff plus a keyboard is going to go way better than what the NES version laid out here. And for that reason alone, um, there was one thing that I didn't quite talk, or none of us talked about really, was the cursor for the, Uh, for the like the in the room section where all of a sudden it gives you like your mouse clicker in the room there is an annoying thing on the sides specifically on the right side of the room where if you're kind of like just hugging that edge for whatever reason I'm not saying you have to be but if you are trying to click on something whether it would work or not there's a chance that you might accidentally just push a little further than you might think and even though it doesn't look like you're on the edge of the screen, you will now move back over to the inventory and then you'll have to come out of the inventory back to the room and you won't start on the edge, you'll start back in the center and just little (laughs) things like that make me think that like with a mouse this game is superior and for that reason, I'm going to say that Shadowgate is more of a play it for NES people because it's more for fans of the NES than for like everyone must play the NES version of Shadowgate. And that's where I stand.
0: And I just want to jump in real quick before Joe talks again. I'm sorry to interrupt you uh, for the second time. Um, but I just want to counter that. I think that that was a very elegant solution to having to, like, use another input to, like, switch between your inventory to the the action menu to the, uh, the actual view of the room you're in, that, that it was just directional. It felt very intuitive. And, yeah at the edge it may think you're trying to move over to your inventory but in any other it, that was rare enough for me that it, I just I appreciated that ease of use in the user interface so I, that, that's just my little thing
1: Joe your vote well I'll start with um, the fact that I this, is, this game was made for me like this is a game that like, I feel like if, uh, if I grew up if I played this game growing up, I would have absolutely like fallen in love with it because it's just what I'm always talking about. I mean, it, it, this one really just has the essence of an adventure, and it's and it's one that you you know it's not just an adventure because you're in a castle, but it's because like the it's it's very immersive, and it and it gives you this like feeling of progression in a way that we're not used to on the NES because it's not this action based game. Um, I had a i mean i had a blast with this game i really did um as far as what 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 you guys are talking about with like the user interface and like the, you know some things that were maybe not like perfectly user friendly like the like the arrow um or like the the benefits of using a keyboard i feel like that stuff was so what is definitely there you're not wrong at all but like it was so minimal to my experience whereas like pretty quickly got used to that. And like, yes, it would have been nice to have a mouse, but it didn't really bother me to, to use the arrows to move the mouse around because it was never like, it was never janky minus the, the, the point you brought up Mike, but, but I agree with Sean. It really never bothered me because it happened like once or twice to me, but um, yeah, there are a couple things like that that could be better. There are a couple times where, you know, the hints could be a little less straightforward and, Overall, I guess I'll try and sum this up a little bit. I, I know that what I love about this game is just a lot of elements that are just inherent to most point and click adventure games. So, like, not even just talking about other Shadowgate versions, I know that there are like tons of other point and click adventure games that are probably as good or, or much better than this game. And that was kind of starting when I was playing it, making me think like, well, you know, should I vote this essential? I really want to because I really, really like it. But then I kind of thought to myself, like, no, just because we've kind of had this debate before, but just because I know there are better point-and-click adventure games doesn't mean that this wasn't like a fantastic point-and-click adventure game. And like, I had such a good time with it. Friends of mine that I played with that don't play all these NES games like we do were having a great time with it. Uh I'm going to put it on the Essential Games list and never take it off On the, uh, when, when you try and vote it off, Sean, so sorry. But, but I'm going to put it on the Essential Games list for now.
2: And everyone, every episode has a chance for an Essential Game, and that's not to discount Short Order and Explode, which come out next week. Uh, two Power Pad games, we're going to give them the same shot. I don't know if the Power Pad was ever released on the Commodore 64, but that's not going to disqualify it either. Uh, we're going to give this th- th- those two games, it's two and one, wow, uh, we're going to give them a fair shakeout, along with all the other games that we play, except for the ones on Nostalgia Bites, that's our patreon.com slash nostalgia only episodes, where we look at the Famicom library, those are not eligible for the essential games list, but they're pretty cool games, uh, we teased a lot today about the Portopia serial murder case, and I do think anybody who enjoyed Shadowgate would enjoy playing that game as well, but that's not The next episode of uh, Nostalgia Bites. The next episode of Nostalgia Bites is Boko Suka Wars. And, you know, just the idea of what that title could mean should excite some people.
0: You just love to say it. You just love to say Boko Suka Wars.
2: See, it rolls right off the tongue like that. Um, Lots of other games coming up. Just a little tease of things that are coming up. If you're not like on the Discord or checking these things out on the reg, if you want to play along also have silent service that's a sid meyer game uh the uncanny x-men it's based on a comic book if you haven't heard of them uh willow what's willow based off of is willow a movie
1: yeah i think it's a george lucas movie yeah i think that oh.
0: sounds right i um, thought it was an m night Shyamalan movie oh that's the village
1: yeah
2: now i'm looking at willow and i can't tell but
1: <laughs> i thought it was a quentin tarantino movie. <laughs> right that's oh wait no no fiction. that's that's reservoir dark, yeah so. yeah
2: but important thing about willow it's also the last game of 1989 and that goes into our best of 1989 where uh we'll probably just add the remaining 249 games that we played so far onto the essential games list
1: yeah wow